You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 44 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Carusco. Carusco is a three-piece rock band from Texas that blends the aggression of post-hardcore with the lyricism and vulnerability of indie rock. They just announced a southeastern tour in support of their latest record, Wake. For more information and tour dates, check out their website, CaruscoMusic.com. That is C-O-R-U-S-C-O Music.com. Or on social media at Carusco Music. Now here it is, their latest single, New Year.
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey, how's it going? This is Murphy Cargis from the band Sugar Ray, and you are listening to That One Time on Tour. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Chris Swinney. I am your host for that one time on tour. Uh, this is where I get to sit down with someone in or around the entertainment industry, and we normally have a really cool conversation, and this week is no different. I'm going to tell you about our guest here in a second. The first thing I want to do is I want to thank you guys so much for sticking with me last week. We did not have a new episode as I was under the weather. I did not feel well at all, but I'm back to 100% strength now, and I feel great, and I just want to say the cool thing about when I mean not being sick wasn't cool but the week before that I'd put out episode number 43 with Brian Venable from Lucero and the episode just blew up like we charted at 48 in the United States and we charted in all kinds of other countries and it just it was insane like it's still today two weeks later we're getting like 200 plays a day so I want to thank all of you guys if you're you know your new listeners that came to us through Lucero thank you so much I hope you guys stick around maybe find something else that you like as far as guests go yeah I just want to say thanks that episode was great I had a great time Brian's an amazing guy and it seems like you guys really liked it so I really appreciate that so now I can tell you about today on today's show the former bass player for the band Sugar Ray Mr. Murphy Cargus. Murphy is a really great guy I got to know him really well with this conversation and it's really cool. Like we have a lot in common. He teaches kids music just like I do, but we had such a great time chatting about everything. And he told the story about how they wrote their big hit single fly. It was crazy. Like we covered everything. So you guys need to check that out. Sugar Ray is a band that I always really enjoyed. They had some heavy songs, you know, on their first couple records, but even the singles, I mean, if you tell me that when fly comes on the radio or every morning comes on the radio, you guys don't sing it. That's bullshit. So uh, you need to check this conversation out. I think you'll really enjoy it. There's a lot of really cool insight onto what happens when a band is one kind of thing and then they kind of change into another thing and it's really cool. So uh, before I get into my conversation with Murphy, I do need to tell you guys about rockabilia.com. They're the longest running sponsor that we have. They just sent me a really cool care package the other day. I got a, they sent me a, a, a minor threat shirt for my two-year-old and a David Bowie shirt for my one-year-old. It's, they're, they're just great people and uh, they really take care of us and help us out with the show. And uh, we're working on some big things with Rockabilia. We're thinking about maybe a, uh, 
exclusive TOTOT t-shirt you can only get at Rockabilia. So more info on that as it unfolds. I want to give a shout out to Frankie and everybody over at Rockabilia. Go check them out. And when you buy your cool stuff, put in the promo code. Are you ready? I'm going to tell it to you. P-C-T-O-T-O-T. It's going to save you 15%. So go on over to Rockabilia.com and check it out. I also need to tell you about Muncie Music Center. You guys hear me talk about it all the time. It's a little mom and pop store here in Muncie, Indiana. I teach guitar there. It's an amazing place. They can hook you up with whatever you need for music. MuncieMusic.com or in person at 600 South Mulberry in Muncie. So that does it for the sponsors. Uh, I, I would like to reiterate the band at the beginning of the episode, Carusco. I used to say Carusco and then they, they, they corrected me when I actually hung out with them. But they're great guys and their music is awesome and they just work so hard and I've gotten to know them pretty well through this podcast. This is the third time they've sponsored an episode and I just, I want you guys to go see them. They're, they're going on tour in the Southeast. I know they'll have more tour dates also. I, I think people just kind of don't understand what it takes to be in a touring band because a lot of the guys on this show, we talk about, oh, you know, being in buses and going to Europe and blah, 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 but that's not where you start. None of us started at that place and these bands like Carusco and, you know, like Divided Heaven and all these bands that sponsor the show, they work their asses off and they go out there and they just really, they make it happen. They're not sitting in their bedroom hoping that something on SoundCloud hits and then they get rich and famous. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. If you're not out there working at it, I mean, you might as well just quit. So I want to say, Carusco, you guys kick ass. You guys need to check them out at CaruscoMusic.com. Please go see them live in concert. Buy a record, stream their stuff, whatever you can do to help them out because they deserve it and they're a great band. As are all the bands that I have on this show. I love them. So check out a band that sponsors an episode. You will not be sorry. They're the stars of tomorrow. If you've never heard of them, check them out. You know, you have nothing to lose. So uh, thanks a lot to Caruso and all the other bands for always being so cool and helping me with this podcast. Love you dudes. And, uh, Hope you have a good time on tour. That's going to do it for all that. You know, make sure you're following us on all the social medias. By now, you know what it is. It's at TOTOT Podcast. If you want to become a sponsor, you have a band or a company, whatever, TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. But all this stuff is available on TOTOT Podcast.com. Yeah, you can just go there, your one-stop shop. It's got everything, every link we've ever had for anything you can get at our website. So thank you guys so much for listening to me ramble. I am now going to jump into my conversation with Mr. Murphy Cargus from Sugar Ray. And I'm on the line with Mr. Murphy Cargus from Sugar Ray. How are you doing today, man? Hey, doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Oh, dude, it's it's a it's a pleasure. I've I've been a fan of the music uh, for a long time. I was actually doing some research and going through trying to figure out the first time I heard the band. And you would think it would probably be since I'm from the Midwest, it would be like one of the hits. But it was Mean Machine, and it was because a band that I used to actually play shows, like my band played shows with them. They would cover that song. That was my first introductory introductory into your band. So that's amazing. Yeah, it wasn't Fly or anything like that. It was Mean Machine. <laughs> no, yeah. Mean Machine was our first single. Um, that was off the first record, Lemonade and Brownies. And um, it's funny, you know, that 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 song. I mean, so that was our first single. It first went on the radio at the end in Seattle. And it was such a thrill to hear, like, you know, that your song got added somewhere. So obviously the first record has, a you know, a special place in, you know, our heart being, you know, it wasn't a hit, but like, it didn't matter. I mean, when you're when you're when you pick up a guitar in your garage or living room or bedroom or wherever you are, like you you dream to just maybe someday get in a band, you know, play shows and get on the radio and and like so, I think I think Mean Machine obviously has a, a fond place in my heart and and I think that um, 
you know, writing that song too, like I, I wrote most of the, the, the rock riffs in the band throughout the whole time. And, um, um, it's funny. I, I don't know if we want to get into this, but like I, where <laughs> I, where, where I got that riff from, you know, we can go into that, but I, yeah, I literally, let's, let's go into that, man. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it's funny. I mean, where do you get your influences from, you know, in, uh, in, in a band when you're, when you're, when you pick up an instrument, I think it's just from like the stuff that you listen to and, and it's from just anything, you, you know, the vibe, if you live in a city or you live in a, wherever you, the, all these things kind of come in through you and to you. And then obviously music you listen to growing up. Um, but at the time, you know, I, I remember, uh, one time we were, uh, I was watching this show and it was Brian Wilson talking. It was late night. I was up or something. And I was watching Brian Wilson talk about how he literally stole a Chuck Berry riff, like unabashed, you know, <laughs> admittedly he goes, I took a Chuck Berry riff and then I did it in a different key. And then I did this. And he wrote like a hit song for the Beach Boys. And I'm like, Brian Wilson is labeled a genius. And he is, you know, from Paul McCartney, all these people. And I'm like, if he can just take a, a musical piece and reinterpret it, is it, how could that be a bad idea? Isn't that a smart thing to do? So it's so, so check this out. So my version of that is, you know, is it was actually, you can listen to it. It's the Meat Puppets. I believe it was the Meat Puppets. Somebody or Jesus built or Somebody stole my hot rod. I, for, I forget the name. I need to check it out. But it was a riff that was churning, and da, 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 da. it was just kind of this looping, churning thing. Wait, it wasn't. It a, wasn't ministry. Jesus built my hot rod. Was it? No, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. It was not that. It was. <laughs> okay. It was. Um, oh no. I'm sorry. It was the Butthole Surfers. Right? Okay. Okay. And I'll look up the song, but it's you'll see that you go. Oh, I see where he got that from. It wasn't a straight lift, but I kind of go. I want something that sounds like that. And then I reinterpreted, I tuned down the low E string on my bass and I went, do, 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 do. And there came the riff. So, and then the guys loved it. I brought it in and, and then we, it was fast and it's been a staple on tour forever. I will clarify. Yeah. I'm not in the band right now. I got, I, I, uh, there's just two remaining uh, members, Mark and Rodney who are carrying on with different members, various, but, uh, Craig left in 09, Stan and I were out in about 2012, but, uh, but yeah, just going, go looking back at that riff, that's a special song, man. And it's crazy because a lot of bands actually covered that after our first tour, we had our first tour was with Korn and the Deftones in, um, early on, you know, when we were touring in like 95, 96 and, um, and we, a, a year later after touring through an area, we'd come back and somebody come and go, dude, we do mean machine as a cover in our band. I'm like, I can die happy. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I remember there was this band that was playing it. I think they even like wrote a song along the same lines, an original song about like a car <laughs> that was like kind of a tribute to the song they covered of yours. So yeah, it was it was crazy. I remember hearing it and going, "Now oh, that's a really cool song." And then my friends like, "Yeah, that's not their song. That's a band called Sugar Ray." <laughs> oh, that's that's just that's so flattering. Seriously, that, that I remember uh, where I heard that um, it was in D.C. This band. And, and then somebody said, hey, we cover that in our band. And then um, somebody else, like I got, a, I don't know, it was a fanzine or something. Somebody, this is so long ago, it was a fanzine. And somebody was telling me that some band from like, you know, Sweden or something was, or they showed, I don't know, was it a video or something. It was just kind of mind-blowing that a band from overseas would cover that song. And I will give credit to Mark for, you said the lyrical content, or you mentioned that it was about a car or something. Yeah. You know, he, he Mark always had great concepts for coming up with like, you know, just cool lyrical content, I guess, for this or that. But he, that was his whole thing. My, my stuff was the music in that song and his with the lyrics. I tell you, it's weird. I was in a band called the Ataris and we covered 
one of the of bigger course, yeah. one, well one of the bigger songs we had was our cover of Boys of Summer by Don Henley. And uh, I remember Oh dude, that's a fantastic version. Oh, well thanks man. I appreciate that. But I the, the, it's funny like this whole inception of covers you're talking about because when I was playing in the Ataris, I had a buddy who I used to play in a band with who was playing in a cover band, a really really great cover band, and they were doing our version of that cover. So they were covering oh, a cover. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, well, because your version was amazing and, and, and it brought like a life and energy to it. it what, what I loved about your version was you reinterpreted it a little bit to be just progressive and be a little different. It's a great song. And that's the great thing about covers is that it's a song that works. And yeah. then you kind of put your little, whether or not you, we've done a bunch of covers, like every record we did a cover. And sometimes we'd keep it close to the vest and be like a straight up version, which isn't always that interesting, but but the ones that you really interpret your own way, I think, like, can, can, you know, that's just why people do covers. And I think it's important. I actually teach kids now. I have a music studio in Costa Mesa. And I tell kids, I'm like, you guys, we got to learn covers. And the reason is this um, it's because where are you going to get your, where are you going to learn to write a good song from yeah. if you don't listen to like the, the, the greatest bands of all time, you know, from like whether it's Led Zeppelin or The Who or The Ramones or The Clash or like whatever. It's like, where are you going to figure out how to do it? So you learn from them and you embed that in your DNA as you're growing up. And then all of a sudden you're ready to write. I mean, that's, that's how I do it. I teach guitar for a living now. And when I first started teaching guitar, like years ago, I would go straight out of a book, kind of like the guys that always did that I had as teachers. And it's so yeah. boring. It's like school and playing guitar is not supposed to be like school. So now it's a little bit more work, but I always tend to find out what the kids are into and kind of go that route. And we learn the theory and everything we need to learn from the songs that they enjoy. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and that probably really engages the kids too, right? It totally engages the kids. And I have, you know, very little turnover. Like I, all the other teachers seem to have a lot of kids coming and going and I've had, you know, kids come to me and they're with me for at least four or five years. That's great. Well, that's because you engage them and, and you respect and, and ask them what the, what they want to listen to. When I took, I always tell people, I took a couple lessons early on. Um, we were, I was living in, I think I was living in Irvine at the time. I only lived in Irvine for three years, but it was during my beginning of high school. And I took like two or three lessons from this. It was a music, it was a Yamaha school of music. It was in Irvine somewhere. And it was just this kind of really depressing room. And the guy didn't look at me much. He goes, yeah, sit like this here, learn the scale. And it, you know, it was like, I just wish he would have said, Hey, who are you into? Yeah. Oh, no way. You're into TSOL or Agent Orange or, you know, the Dead Kennedys or something. Okay, cool. So why don't we like try to learn Let's Lynch the Landlord or something or like, <laughs> or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. even for just a moment, that would have appeased me to then want to do the scales he wanted to teach me. But he never said that. And so I quit after like two things and I said, I got three, you know, bad as musician myself buddies and we just started playing Sex Pistols covers in my garage in Irvine. Yeah. I mean, and we were terrible. But it was the best, funnest thing ever. I think if you like, I kind of hide the the actual fundamental guitar stuff in the songs that they want to play. So they don't really yeah, know they're right. learning. And then it comes back out later. And then, you know, it works. And I just, I don't really know, know that I could teach another way because I get bored really easy. Yeah, exactly. I just think encouragement is a huge thing. And, you know, if you can encourage the kids, they feel better about themselves and they'll keep going. So you were talking about, you know, living in Irvine and taking lessons when you were young. So what was it for you as far as music goes? Like what got you hooked on music back in the day? That's a good question. Um, I would say it's funny because, you know, a, a picture in a magazine actually kind of spun me off a little bit. I, I didn't pick up 
bass. Bass was the thing that I fell in love with. And there was a magazine. You know, I'd, li- I'd listen to my parents' record. My parents had an amazing record collection from the 60s and 70s. I mean, everything from like just Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez, James Taylor, Judy Collins and my mom to like Steppenwolf, Chicago, The Who, Led Zeppelin, um, you know, the Allman Brothers, Crosby, Stills, Nash and my dad's just huge, amazing collection of music. And then, but so fast forward and I'm a teenager and I'm, you know, listening to like the B-52s and Devo and all this stuff. Um, but it was, it was. When, when, when music finally, it was a picture, there was a magazine in Southern California called Action Now. And it was this interesting magazine. It was the first magazine that we knew. I think it was an offshoot of Skateboarder magazine. They started another mag. And, and it was the first magazine where they would blend surfing, skateboarding, and snowboarding. And that's all they covered, three rad things. And, th- and then they had a music component too. There was like, you know, music or bands. And it was all new wave based. And and on the cover was like this picture of a guy in a punk band or a band. And he, he had the back end of a bass and he was shoving it into the camera. And it just had so much attitude. I'm like, what is that? I need to figure out that I need to be a part of something like that. It just had this energy and this emotion. And so I'm like, everybody in the world goes, oh, I play, you know, I play guitar too. You know, oh, I play guitar. Like nobody in the world have you ever heard say, Oh, I play bass too, man. Like, yeah, can I play bass? <laughs> yeah. Like it's even even bass players go, I play guitar. It's a bass guitar. So I just thought bass was so different looking. And for some reason at that time in my life, I was like probably 13 or 14. I just thought it was cool to be different. I didn't want to be like everybody else for whatever reason. And and just kind of go the way, yeah, I play guitar. I'm like, I've never heard anybody say I want to play bass. So I go, I want to play bass. And then I found this used bass off a friend of a friend. Um, I was going to university high school at the time. Which actually, Zach De La Rocha and Tim Comerford from Rage were one year underneath me. Wow! Um, and so was Will Ferrell. There was all these like funny people <laughs> in, wow. in Irvine at this small school. And um, well, Tim and I actually knew each other. We, we were buddies. We had we. <laughs> well, I have stories where we would hang out and like he would play his Rickenbacker bass and I'd play my Candy Apple Yamaha. But that was a couple years later. Anyways, I found this blue scale uh, Honda. It was called a Hondo bass. I've, I've seen blue, Hondo bases, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was dude, it was, te- it was like this terrible guitar. I think it had flat one strings. It could hardly play. But to me, it was as if like just a light went on and the clouds parted. And I put this bass in my, you know, in my hands and I bought it off this guy. It was 80 bucks. I paid him 60. I still own 20. Um, <laughs> anyways, Checks in no, the I, mail, I, man. Checks yeah, in the I mail. think I paid. I think I finally paid him. But um, it was just this incredible experience of seeing that photograph and going and listening to all these new wave bands. And then that photograph kind of personified the vibe of what it might be like live. If I ever got a band together to play at some club someday in the future. And I put the bass in my, and I'm like, this is just magical. And I had been, um, I had been journaling and just writing for some reason when I was a kid, I would just write to myself, like write down stuff I was feeling inside and I could literally throw it away. And that was how it was kind of dealing with like, just feeling stuff as a kid. I think you go through a lot when you're a kid, yeah. all the first time things you go through when you're like 14 ish. And so I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can write stupid lyrics down, make a dumb baseline and I can get a song. I can go play it and I get a party and have people listen to me. That's that, that was a mind, mind bender. That's crazy. So, uh, you're learning bass, you know, it's kind of changing your life. How did, uh, was Sugar Ray, was it your first band? It couldn't have been your first band, right? No, it was a couple bands in. Um, okay. It was, uh, I met those guys. Um, 
it was a funny way we met. We never should have met. It's really an interesting story how we, my sister, okay, I was only in Irvine for three years and then I moved to Babel Island. And so I was supposed to go to a new school, which would have been CDM High School, Corona Del Mar, which is where Stan, Rodney, and Mark all went. So my sister, though, started going to CDM as a freshman. I would commute to Irvine to finish my senior year at, at university. I'm not going to switch my last year. Yeah. And then through Stan and Stacy, my sister went on a date. Okay. And they were in a band. Um, Stan was in a band with Rodney, who was, you know, obviously in Sugar Ray still, and this guy, Nick. And they were, they were this cool band. As summer comes, that band breaks up. I get a phone call from Stan, who I've never really met. And I knew him as he was like at a rival high school's band. And he goes, hey, Murph, like uh, our band broke up and Rodney switched to guitar. You want to come down to the beach and jam? We're at my friend's house, McGee, this guy. And I go, it was so random kind of because, you know, they, they didn't wind up girlfriend and boyfriend. It was just one date or something. And I'm like, for some reason, it was such a weird phone call. I thought I was like going to get pranked or something. Like maybe it was a bad date and they were going to like egg me or something. Or, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, it was just a weird, I, but I go, yeah, sure. I'll come down to the beach and jam with a bunch of strangers I'd never met. Why not? So I walk in one day, Rodney's there. I knew of him because he was in that band. And I go, oh, cool. There's this little room in the back. We're going to go jam in this tiny little room with like styrofoam circles on the wall. And I go, who's singing? He goes, oh, this guy, Mark, he's kind of a jock. He used to carry my amp around and now he wants to sing. And I go, okay, great. So Mark walks in and, and I remember he was like, the bands I had been in, I had been in a couple bands before that. I've been in the bands with all these brooding, like kind of like trying to be Jim Morrison, like heavy, like dark, like, you know, mysterious you know, auras about them. Mark comes walking in, like light on his toes, kind of bopping up and down. Everything's a joke. He's smiling. He's in Adidas head to toe. He's got this cool charismatic look. He had long kind of curly hair and he just like looked like a fun dude. And I'm like, Hey, what's up? And, and so we walk in and we did like Robert Palmer's bad case. 11. You, we did a blondie song. I think we did, um, a, a song from the cult that electric record, like, it was, I think it was Little Devil or um, something like that. And, and there was this energy between us, and his hair was flying, and it was so loud we couldn't hear anything. But there was this weird electric current, I'm not even kidding, that ran through everybody. And like, it was just this weird, incredible thing. I'd never felt that before because my bands, again, were all kind of brooding and like mellow. And like, even though, and this band was just like, this was this energetic, fun thing. And it was like, wow, what was that? And, and, and I'll finish by saying this. Um, we, we walk out and we go into the living room. And Mark told this to me for years on, and he never let me live this down. I had enjoyed it. But you know how everybody, you're in, a, you're in bands. You know how everybody's different, how people process playing shows and when they're done, right? Some guys are fired up. Some guys get mellow, right? And even before shows, some guys are mellow. Some guys are fired up. So I'm kind of mellow and I'm taking it in and I'm at, and Mark is just like jumping. He's like, oh man. That was so great. He was so excited. He needs to externalize. And so I'm sitting there and he says that it went this way. He goes, Hey Murph, that was killer, man. Do you think we can, think we're going to jam again? Like, can, can we do that again? That was awesome. And he says that I go, maybe I'll jam with, yeah, maybe I'll jam with you guys again. <laughs> and he goes, you broke my heart right there, man. You broke my heart. Like he was so fired up, but what it, what it was funny. And obviously we stayed abandoned and did all this stuff, but it was funny because it kind of, it, 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 it encapsulated like how Mark was like after shows years later too, he kind of like, I think needs to hear from you like this reinforcing thing. 
And for me, sometimes I just like to just take it in and I'm taking in the moment and I'm quiet, even though I'm super happy. So it was funny that that, that little microcosm, you know, spelled kind of how we are. Everybody's different. Yeah. But it was funny. So that day it got started and then the rest is kind of history for how many years we stayed together. When you guys started there at the beginning, was the band called Shrinky Dinks? Because that's what yeah. you guys were before Sugar Ray, right? Absolutely correct. Yeah, we practiced and we found a place to practice it. Rodney was a dental assistant. And so we would jam at his dental. We After hours, we'd like illegally go to this dental lab and rock out. And then we found a, an old Shrinky Dinks toy, like shriveled up in the corner. And we go, oh, this got to be a sign. We'll just call ourselves that. See, and, and I think it's funny, you guys, I know there was like an impending lawsuit uh, from the people. No, we that, made that up. Oh, that's not real? <laughs> we always said that, you know, we used to like, I didn't understand it, but like, you know, McGee and Mark would always kind of talk about like, they, they would, and, and maybe it's true, they'd go, what, what should we say? And, you know, I think that we we thought there would be one. Yeah. But there was no. Well, we always thought you know, that the, the we, we got a cease and desist letter. There was we, no such thing. We always thought because the name of the band was the Ataris that we were going to be screwed, but it never happened. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so we used to make up stuff. We try to invent like drama or something. Like, so we we invented that Rodney was Chaka from the Land of the Lost. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Did you know that? Oh, I mean, I've seen. I know what Land of the Lost is. I know what Chaka is. Yeah. No, but like, but so we invented that Rodney played the character Chaka from that show. Oh, I didn't. So that was actually like a thing that was out in the world. <laughs> yeah, we we make up all these lies because we thought for some reason those those guys that they're like, yeah, let's like sell this stuff and maybe like you know, well, it's just in a way it was kind of funny. And it's like Marilyn Manson we, is the guy from the Wonder Years, right? Yeah, <laughs> and so so no, it was never. We never got a cease and desist. It was just um, something to say. But to be honest, I mean, yeah, maybe it would have been. Um, an issue and I don't know. And, and we wound up changing it anyway. So that's funny. Yeah, you're right. You, you never had an issue and you just went with it. And like, yeah. maybe we'd, ne we'd never had an issue too. You know, we'll never know, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm always, <laughs> but, I'm always the guy that's like, you know, no press is bad press. Like if, if you named your, your band Metallica two, and then they, and then they yeah, came in and sued you, at least you're going to be in the news, you know? No, dude, that's true. So that part of like their uh, marketing ideas were always really cool, you know? And, and, and they actually woke me up to like, um, to realizing like, you know, you need to take care of like what you look like and what you're doing and all that stuff matters, you know, and, yeah. you know, as, as long as you're doing it with, I think fun and having, trying to have a good time and just, you know, showing off what, showing what you're doing, I think it's okay. But let, let me finish with the story. It was funny. Okay. It was kind of sad actually. Okay. So w w we play for a while and we're in the press for a while and it was so sad. The original actor for Chaka Kate like started to reach out and go, Hey man. And, and he got so hurt that Rodney was saying he was the original Chaka. It's like, Oh, that was felt so bad that the original guy said, <laughs> Hey, you, you, you dicks, you know, I'm, or no, he was actually sweet. He, I don't think there was any curse words, but it was like, it felt so bad. We didn't mean to hurt anybody's like feelings. And like that, that was his like charm that he was the original Chaka guy. And like, we were, you know, incorrectly saying, so we were like, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, you guys stole chaka. you stole his one thing he had. In we life. stole his thunder, and it feels so bad. But <laughs> that was years ago. But that's a funny little side note that that's what happened. That's awesome. So take me through. You guys are now playing. You're the Shrinky Dinks, and then of course you changed the name. How did the band get signed? Like, was it just a lot of playing shows, or like, like how did all that go? No, man, it was a weird deal. Yeah, we we have so many weird things that happened to us that. Um, it, okay, how we got signed, it was the opposite of what you normally and, and we thought it was like grind out a thousand shows and 
have A&R people come and start to talk to you. It was zero of that. The exact way we got signed was McGee invested in us. He goes, he goes, let's make a music video. And we shot it on 35 millimeter film. Like that is insane yeah. back in 19, um, you know, 93 or something that, that, that'd be like shooting it on, I don't know, IMAX 65 film right now or something. <laughs> yeah. So it, 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 it makes no sense, but it was the most amazing thing to do. And, um, most people were shooting on video cameras back then, like the like the happy birthday look of a video camera, like the big camcorder, like on your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. like a crap, like a crappy camcorder that looks like happy birthday footage on a bad video camera. But this was thirty five millimeter film, like what James Bond movies are shot on at the time. So, so he invested in that, and um, and it just came together. We we did one, we we did a three song demo, and we filmed it to Caboose, which was a really just simple, great kind of ACDC-ish riff. I always said if it was like ACDC kind of meets the Beastie Boys, that's what we were trying to go for in Caboose, and whether we hit it or not, whatever. But the video came off with so much energy, and it just worked and marked. We all like were going insane and smashing each other on camera, and we filmed in our bar. We filmed in an alley. We filmed in all these gigs live. And it for some reason, it just completely – it was lightning in a bottle, that video. So – it was just this perfect mix of making the track right. And then McGee crushed it on the video. And then we literally got the video. We got management through the video. Um, all these weird avenues. My dad knew a guy whose brother was a big manager, which was Lee Hyman. And we got it into his hands. He goes, oh my gosh, who, who is this band? They, had, they came to see us. Live, we were a little more rough around the edges than yeah. like we – Video perfectly encapsulated what I think we were trying to do and be, even though we were like this sloppy garage band. Um, but so then through his partner, they gave us a six month deal and said, look, we'll sign you and we'll manage you. We'll get you a major record deal in six months where you can say goodbye to us. We said, okay, that sounds great. Within six months, we got a huge record deal from Atlantic Records. Wow. I, I, it, it, so what happened was, here's the story. Nick Castanelli is a guy who I still keep in contact with. He was a, a low level person at Atlantic Records, you know, A&R guy, whatever. Kind of like the cliche of the guy in the mailroom, you know, but just trying to trying to figure it out. He gets the video through, I think, Chip Quigley, our manager. He takes it to a guy he knows who's good friends with Doug Morris, the boss at the at the time. Somehow this guy knew that guy. So they take it all the way up to like the, you know, the quote unquote executive floor of Doug Morris, where he's got the piano in his, you know, suite with the smoke on the floor, and he's this big CEO boss. And he watches the video. Doug Morris turns to Nick and says, sign that band, give them whatever they want. That's why I got into music in the first place. Dude, that's awesome, man. That's, that's exactly what he said verbatim. And this was a time when like, you know, we're huge fans of Seattle and grunge and, and, you know, all that stuff. I love it to death, but it was kind of that time of like, and this was this crazy ray of sunshine and this energy burst that was coming off the video. And I think that he... Who knows? I mean, the first record didn't, there was no hits on that. It was just this record that had energy. I mean, what a, what a visionary though for Doug Morris to say that, to give a shot at a band that eventually we wound up having big songs later yeah. through, through other weird twists of fate. But it's crazy how a band gets a shot and then makes it or not on a label. It's it, or, or not on a label. It's, it's crazy how many things have to work for you. It, it is. So take me through, I mean, you just said, you know, the first record, you know, there wasn't really a hit on it. It was a bit heavier i mean you guys toured with corn deftones you know when the band first started to like take off and get some steam was you know when fly came out which was on your album floored in 1997 what was the was there something like a catalyst that made you guys kind of 
not change your sound completely, but just start to maybe write, you know, prettier songs. I mean, you guys, you guys are great songwriters. I mean, it just, what took you guys to that other place? No, there's an exact thing. Yeah. Well, we were lost is all hell. Like, you know, it's very simple. You know, in the first record, I want to say it was a lot of fun. It wasn't like it wasn't fun. I admit that there wasn't a hit on it though. And like hits don't make you, hits are just what they are. It's a song that really works, but you can love a record more if it doesn't have a hit on it. It doesn't really matter to me. I, I love that first record. It's a cult favorite to a lot of people. And I use that word lightly, you know, but, but a lot of people do really love that record. I remember like a lot of skaters be like, ah, oh, it's my favorite record. I, you know, I put it on and I, you know, I skate half pipes all day or whatever. And so I, I love that. But so what happened was we, we had toured and it hit the grind was hitting us and we were just sweating it out in clubs all over the place. And we weren't really making, we, we were on a label and we were doing pretty good. We were in these van tours um, and, and just, we, we'd done van tours for about two years or whatever, a year and a half touring in the support of lemonade and brownies in Europe a lot. And so we come back and we were in New York city writing on our second record. We, we decided to just relocate and try to write some stuff in New York city. And here's exactly how it happened. A lot of people, um, think like, Oh, you must've changed your sound. Like there's, there's no way you could try to, I don't think change your sound and yeah. accidentally back into a hit. So I, I would, from my experience, I would know how other people did it. If their sound changed that much, I'd be like, Oh, it's probably an accident. Cause you know, true genius comes from like accidents, not, not us. So we, we were there and we were literally writing for a couple of weeks in this one decrepit, like rehearsal space. It was a 24 hour lockout. And literally like the, 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 the floor manager, this lady would come in a nightgown and get our money with like a two foot ash on her cigarette and her <laughs> hairs and curlers. It was just this hilarious looking scene. And so I, I thought I'd be delivering pizzas in six months and, and stand back to being a paralegal and Mark driving a, a merchandise truck and Rodney doing dental implants, you know? So it's like, we were sitting there and the pressure was getting to us and the, the songs were heavy and we were, I just felt like the drop tuning thing was going to kind of go away, even though we were doing some drop tuning stuff. I'm like, ah, I don't know. And so, one day Mark just had had enough and he, and he just was like, ah, I'm out of here. And he just kind of stormed out and he, he just, I, I could tell he was at a breaking point. And we all were, we were really frustrated and we were get, supposed to meet um, producers that coming week. And so Mark just walks out, he bails. And, and I knew that I wasn't going to see him for like, you know, two days now he's going to go do whatever, you know? And, um, and so I'm sitting there, it was this really depressing moment. It was this sad moment where I'm like, okay, all right, great. I'll be back at Little Caesars. Here we go. It's all good. You know, we had a fun run. It's fine. And so since the practice was so broken and destroyed, I go, well, I got a little bass. Why don't we screw around? I got a little bass idea, you know? And so I started playing A to D, do, 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 do. And I'd add that little fifth of the D, yeah. which is F sharp. And, and it was the line in the, in the verse. And so I started playing that. And Craig, Craig is sitting there. Rodney's depressed. He's sitting, holding his guitar, slouched down. Stan is out in the hallway pacing, smoking a cigarette. And Craig goes, that's kind of cool, man. Since it was such a weird vibe, I go, let's just, I thought we could just change it up. And I had this bass line. Craig makes the beat immediately within about literally like a minute or two. He had his turntables and the beat that's on the record he made that fast. Wow. He somehow had it ready. Rodney goes, that's pretty cool. And his, Rodney's got this amazing, he played in reggae bands and he's got this amazing flow and style that comes through him with, the, with playing little licks. And he literally started playing that lick. Like it was something really close to the lick and fly. And Stan is out in the hallway, and after like five minutes of listening, he pokes his head in and goes, hey, I got something for that. And I was the band recorder at the time. I had a four-track cassette recorder. Stan comes in and lays it down, says, I just want to fly. 
you know, put your arms around me, baby. <laughs> yeah. and we're like, what? And we, we, it was just, we called it a vibe track because it wasn't a song. We didn't know what it was. It just felt like a vibe thing. And so we called it a vibe track and we didn't know what it was, but fly got written in about 10 minutes. I mean, the, the best songs just flow out of you. You know what I mean? Like you could spend they, they, they four did. months on one song and it might not be as good as that song. That song came out of a heavily depressing moment where we all thought everything was over. And so we were just kind of joking. Well, we weren't joking around. It, it wasn't like I was like, yeah, this is a stupid baseline. It was kind of like I had been listening to Sublime that week because we were supposed to meet David Kahn, who um, had produced the What I Got single, the record, uh, among other producers. And so just these simple moving baselines were running through me, like A to D you know, or G to C, just really simple stuff, not, not brain surgery, just keep it really simple. And so, and then I added that little fit thing and it sounded kind of cool. And so the guys jumped on and literally fly. The chorus was written in 10 minutes. So Mark, so, so Mark came in and here's a funny story. He, and he'll admittedly say this in interviews. We met David Kahn. We played him that song. David loved that song. And, and he's like, Mark goes, if we, I quit, if we're gonna have to play that song, <laughs> it, he'll, it interviews, he'll admit that, that he did think that cause he thought it was so rough. Now he says he thinks that was so rough sounding and David made it better later. But the, the real, the reality is that the genesis of that song was written in 10 minutes. And, and then Mark made a great verse later. David goes, no, I think you might want to sing on this song. I think you'll be okay. So that's, that's the story of how we changed our sound. <laughs> we were, what, it, what it was, was we were just open to, to something that sounded different. It came to us. We didn't force anything. And, and people like, why'd you change your sound? You just have no answer to that because yeah, yeah. You, you just, well, you know what I would say? I go, well, if you want to find out, I'll sit down and tell you and I'll tell you a 10 minute story. Well, I mean, and I think that happens quite a bit. I mean, and I don't know how versed you are on like Rise Against, they're friends of mine. You know, they've been this big, you know, heavy punk band forever. And then they had that one song that was like this acoustic ballad and that song brought them so many fans. But I just, I think it's hilarious that those fans heard that song and then they went to a Rise Against concert and probably didn't know what they were going to get, you know? Yeah, right. That's how we were because we had one fly song and then like 40 minutes of just heavy, just thrash your ear off. And and like, and it was funny. We were on the Warp Tour. So we got on the Warp Tour that after that year when Fly was crushed, just hitting the radio so hard. And all these people would be coming to hear Fly. They'd have to listen to 38 minutes of like, you know, RPM and Mean Machine and 10 <laughs> Seconds Down and Iron Mike and all this stuff. But they'd, and one thing that was really cool that happened was that on that tour, like we, we would see all these kind of like skinheads and all these, you know, these, these hard charging, you know, types in the crowd with just hair and piercings or whatever. And, and the coolest thing to me that they did, I thought they would boo us on fly, but I actually started to see these guys try to like, like they'd start bopping their head in like this kind of tough guy way. And I'm like, that's how you do it, man. That's cool. You know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. They, they didn't like flip us off. They were like, I'd like the music so far. I'll try to dig this. Yeah, totally. You know? yeah. That was funny. So uh, the next record you guys put out was 1459. And I always thought that was such a clever title because you're kind of telling the critics to go fuck off, right? All to Mark. Yeah. All, <laughs> that's all Mark's credit. Like he's so brilliant at like figuring out concepts of how to be one step ahead. Totally him. All his credit, yeah. I, and I thought it was clever too, yeah. So the critics at that point, were they just kind of just totally bashing you guys? Like, what was that all about? Well, yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, the first the first record had, like, it was talking about ESPN and Mike Tyson and premature ejaculation. And, like, you know, it's like <laughs> just stupid juvenile concepts. But we didn't care. We were, like, stupid. And we were, like, 
when are they going to pull the plug? Let's have a lot of fun. We, we were like, remember, remember fast times at Richmond high. Oh yeah. Jeff, Jeff Spicoli saved Brooks, you know, in the end it said that he, he saved Brooks shields from drowning <laughs> yeah. and he's he wasted the reward money and hiring Van Halen to play the, his party or something. Yeah. Like, I remember that. Yeah. That's, that's the most brilliant thing ever. And so that's like us. We're like, how are we even here? Let's just have a blast. And like, who cares? You know, like we, we, um, but we, I think we were sensitive to like how, how much critics hated us. Um, and, and, you know, people like this, you know, who like the songs, you know, and, and so, but critics just hated us always, you know, it's okay. So the, there were two songs on that record that hit really big every morning and someday. And yeah. I, I won't say that they're exactly the same sound as fly, but it, it seemed like you guys kind of found this new Avenue to go down. Is that yeah. fair to say? No, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's so once fly, okay, happened. We weren't like, how do we stamp this? But we said, okay, what we knew was that like, you, you, these were songs we wrote now, not standing in a room with amps on 10. These were songs we were now writing, like sitting on a couch with an acoustic guitar and like Craig making a loop. And I got to say, Craig was such a huge part. We would never have been, we never would be here today without Craig because Lemonade and Brownies was written like that way. Like, you know, everybody's standing with amps, you know, like we just weren't talented enough, I guess. It's songwriting or doing enough to make, to be a, spe- I remember just being so envious of bands that were so good, like Korn or even the Deftones or, you know, we, all these bands we toured with, you know, early on, you know, 311. It's like, these guys are monsters on their instruments. They're so good. Yeah. It, it, how we might've been good was like, we played hard and tight, but I, you know, so, so I, I think we felt like, wow, this is sort of, maybe this is our gift, maybe. And then, and then the influences of Stan and Rodney, who always sang so well in our band, they were like this kind of like the, the, the shining stars to me is like, they could sing. And this is going back to the band before, remember that I met Mark that day, Rodney and Stan were in a band together singing since they were 13, singing harmony. So this goes deep for them. And so it, and they were into the beach boys and all this mellow melodic music. And so this kind of gave us the opportunity to say, well, you know what? People like fly. So we're not going to be insecure about trying to write another song. Maybe we can write like this. Maybe we're able to write um, mellower songs that aren't wimpy, that have still have like a cool loop that Craig can make, but yet can be melodic. And that was our thing. We're like, okay, how can we make songs that don't suck that are that are more mellow? Yeah. And so and so the songs. I think the formula for then was like Rodney with these. He, he got he got set loose for making these bitchin' little acoustic little. You know, on yeah, the guitar, yeah. and then Craig's drum beat, and then Mark's like scratchy voice and my silly bass lines. Like that's, <laughs> we were kind of freed up to go, screw it, let's just you know see if we can be. And you can never, you know, I, you can never force a hit song. You can never try no, to. No. If you try to force a song, it's gonna suck. I promise anybody listening right now, it's gonna suck balls. It will be terrible. What you have to do is afford yourself the opportunity to be creative and to be safe in a space. And as stupid as pretentious that sounds, that's how we were able to write more songs like that. Those songs came about because we were having a good time and we gave ourselves the opportunity to continue to write that way with nothing feeling for us, just like, let's go play Sega NHL, Craig, for like five hours, play you know video games. And then here, I got a beat. Oh, here's a bass sign. And you just keep having fun and just trying to give yourself the opportunity to be creative. 
and I think maybe it'll work. Having an open mind like that coming from, you know, the first record to what you guys are doing then, the open mind to do that, and then also realizing that you guys are kind of in this vein of bands 311, the guys that you were just talking about, and yeah. may, maybe this is your niche. This is your thing that sets you apart from those other bands. Yeah, it kind of did feel like that because Craig was a see Craig was a really interesting Early on, we played at Dragonfly on Santa Monica Boulevard in L.A. And, dude, I remember Tom Morello coming by to watch Craig play on his turntables. Because Craig didn't just, he wouldn't just, like, make beats like a DJ. We, we, we always considered, we said this in interviews, we considered Craig, like, an instrument. Yeah. Where he'd make a guitar sound for a song. He'd make a drum beat. He'd make, like, there was one song, RPM, where he uh, found a, 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 a car taking off or revving. And so we made a song called RPM where... Rodney was doing a slide and then Craig was doing a turntable of, and they would duel, you know, dueling sounds. So yeah. we really considered him. So he was such a vital part. And, um, I think we did feel like, I mean, I'm watching Tom Morello from rage, you know, <laughs> look at my DJ at dragonfly. That was special, man. I'll never forget that. That's awesome. And, man. and, and so I think I kind of felt like, yeah, you know, we are maybe a little bit unique in that Craig is so interesting and, and amazing at making these sounds and then Rodney and the guitar in these simple kind of like, you know, these these loop these loop songs. We're kind of calling them. We didn't know what to call them. Yeah. But we kind of you know we had a label and we called them like the loop songs because it, it started with a loop beat. And then Stan was actually a big songwriter in our band. Stan wrote all the choruses to all the hits in our in our band. Wow. We were like a big trade off band. Like I played guitar on most all of the Lemonade Brownies. That's me playing like the distorted guitar. Um, Rodney played bass on a couple times. You know, Stan wrote the hooks in every, like, you know, every morning there's a, hey, that's Stan, you know, Sunday, Stan, fly, I just want to fly. Remember I told you he was smoking in the hall. So yeah, like, yeah. and Mark is brilliant at concepts and the, and the verse, uh, you know, lyrics. So we all just sort of like decided whatever it's going to take, who cares? Let's just, let's get it done. Whatever. Whoever's good at something, go ahead and be good in it. We're not going to, we're not going to, you know, keep you down just because that's my thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you guys, this is something I'm very interested in talking about, and there might not even be a story there. Um, this is all about touring. Oh, I bet there's a story there. <laughs> this is all about touring, you know, that one time on tour. I know that you guys played Woodstock 99, which is, I'm very jealous. I wish I would have been there. No, we didn't. You didn't? It got, re it got reported we did. We were supposed to go, <sighs> but it didn't happen. Yeah, something happened. Wikipedia fucking sucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. No, it didn't happen. We were supposed to. Somehow we got booked and then I don't know what happened or something. And then it just went like, boom, we're not on or something. As have people ever asked you about Woodstock before? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I think they, they somehow they thought it was supposed to be on or something. Not too much, but no, I, it, it would have been incredible to play that. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, there were so many bands. I mean, they're talking about doing it again. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. That would be incredible. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know, man. I, my buddy went to that and he wanted me to go really bad and I, I, didn't for some reason i think i had a gig or something <laughs> yeah woodstock so you didn't play woodstock but you guys should have totally been there we should have been there man we should have been slinging mud with limp biscuit and fred <laughs> well, was that that was that that was that the the show that that was throwing, the, all the mud throwing yeah that was green day like covered in mud oh, green day right yeah, now yeah. Biscuit. what am i thinking yeah yes yeah, it was it was crazy man metallica played like so many bands so okay so do you have any fun tour stories? I mean, this is a good break in the action where we could talk about that. Something that just jumps out at you. Get to the point of the podcast. Yeah. I mean, um, I've, I've got other questions, but it's, a, we were talking about yeah, Woodstock, yeah. so we might as well see what's going on. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny. We, um, you know, because th- that's what everybody asks for. And, you know, it's, it's a great title to your podcast because people really want to know what goes on behind the scenes and they want to know what goes on on the road. And it's really fun to go out and play and be on the road. Um, but so, so it was funny early on, we didn't have anything that was like incredible happening to us. I guess we were just busy playing shows and all that. And so, and so people would ask us, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you on tour so far? And we had this one answer because it wasn't like there was nothing, even though we, we like to have fun and, and be kind of crazy. And, and drink Budweiser and do whatever. Um, one time, this guy, we were in uh, England, and, and he, he goes, hey, you guys signed my leg? And we go, yeah, sure. And then we think we're going to go down and sign his every leg. And he takes his leg off, and he puts it on the table. <laughs> and so we sign his leg. And like we just used to say that for some reason, that that was like this crazy thing that yeah, happened. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you play for some more years on end, and you know, crazy things happen. Yeah, I mean, all kinds of weird things happen out there on the road. You know, I remember um, after this one show in Berlin, um, I remember most of it, but I was drinking a lot of red wine. It was toward the end of the tour, and I decided to take all my clothes off and go streaking down the street in Berlin, this really busy. And so I, I, I you know, some red wine, and I took all my clothes off and I streaked in Berlin at midnight, <laughs> people watching. And I'm like, how how did I not wind up in jail or just How did you not end up on uh, locked up abroad on the Discovery Channel? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, man. Somebody kind of came down and saved me or something, but That's awesome. Um, you know, I, I mean, things on tour there could be things from like, you know, you know, crazy things like that to like this one time it was funny. Um there's a funny story about Kid Rock how he first got started. Um he he was signed to Atlantic Records, I remember, and Jason Flom played us this cassette of him and we're like, "Wow, it sounds pretty pretty pretty, pretty crazy, pretty whatever. And we're like, yeah, this kid, you know, Detroit. And we were coming through to do a thing called beach house MTV. And, um, I remember just, that. Yeah. I remember seeing yeah, that. It, it, yeah. He was really cool, Bob Richie. And, and so Mark and him, we were hanging out all night and they stayed out all night long, like all night. And we go, Hey Bob, you should come tomorrow. We're doing this thing called beach house MTV. I don't know. Why don't you come and like DJ during the commercial breaks? And like, hang out with us, you know, like we, we, this, this is going to be silly. And so like they, they roll in, like they stayed out all night, Mark and him. And they come in like an hour before we're supposed to tape on air or something. And then like, you know, here we go. We played fly. Cause you know, you play your hit everywhere yeah, in all these yeah. silly places. And so I just remember we had Bob come. And if you somehow can find a tape of beach house, MTV, Sugar Ray playing fly in between there's Kid Rock DJing in and out of commercial breaks. It was the first time he's ever on MTV. Wow. And I just remember how cool that was that like, I'm not taking credit for us. I mean, it was mostly Mark hanging out with him and inviting him to do it, but it's cool that you get to meet people like that and, 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 and involve people in what you're doing out there. And like, like, I don't think he ever forgot that, that we're like, Hey man, come on, be on TV with us. You know, that's awesome, man. So, so you guys did a lot of touring over in Europe and other places. I know that you guys, you played with tons and tons of bands. Were there ever anybody that you met that you were kind of starstruck by? Oh, uh, star. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, it's like, um, I think, uh, you do, you meet a lot of people and a lot of people are like, you know, sometimes people, you get blown off by some people and sometimes people are super, I remember meeting Elton John in Las Vegas backstage. That was really cool, man. I, you know, I had grown up with Elton John records in my house and, and I mean, just always playing and his songs are like embedded in the DNA. I think of just human beings. They're so good. And him walking backstage and I got to say, you know, he's pretty happy. And, and, you know, it's like, I, I think he was like, you know, he was making, you know, 
uh, happy eyes at Mark. And, um, it was just this, it was just like a really amazing time. We had a great show. I think it was sold out or packed and you know, everything was going great. And in walks Elton John to just give us hugs. I'm like, what is going on, man? And just to say how great we were that night. Like, I mean, I'm like, what, what is going on here that he, he was a really, really nice guy. And then there's another time we played an earth day, um, in, I think was it Colorado or Texas. I think it was Texas in Houston. We play an Earth Day with Cheryl Crow, and uh, she was on the bill. It was a multiple bill that day, and we flew in from somewhere. Uh, we were exhausted. I think we were. We, I think we were pretty hot or something. But <laughs> anyway, so we're 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 ragged in there. And I remember I was a big fan of Cheryl Crow. I really liked this band called David and David. This record, Welcome to the Boomtown, and she had written with this guy David Bearwald, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, and from her record, you know, her first record, Tuesday Night Music Club or whatever, right? I just thought it was kind of a fantastic. I was a pretty early fan of Show Crow, and I'll never forget. Like I walked in, and when you're when you're on the road like that, you figure if you're kind of high up on the bill or just somewhere on the bill, you might be able to have a, a, a rapport between artists. And I tried to go in and say hello, and I got super denied. <laughs> and I think I saw her walk, and I'm like, oh, that was kind of like that felt so bad, but. You know, it's like, I'm sure she's cool, yeah. but like, I just got so stiff armed by like trying to just go meet a fellow artist that day. And so there's all these times that like, you're sort of sometimes let down and it might not be the artist's fault. Maybe it was something else, but the timing is weird or something. But, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, meeting Elton John and having him coming in gush over how he loved us was pretty incredible. So do you, uh, do you still talk to the guys at all in the band? You know, um, unfortunately, I don't. We don't talk to uh, Stan and Ro- uh, Mark and Rod. They're they're you know currently going on. Um, our band unfortunately went to a lawsuit in about 2012, and um, Stan and I. I talk to Craig all the time. Craig and I are really good. Yeah. Um, I talk to Stan. You know, we're you know we're fine. And um, but it, it's it's really unfortunate. You know what I mean? It's like. Um, I, I kind of wish we would. I think going through something so long together, you know, yeah, you, you know I mean, what I'm saying? Yeah, it's I mean, like, it's, it's it's hard. And I know that, like, from what I was reading, I mean, a lot of my research has been bunk, I guess, but I, I read that, you know, Mark and the guys that are still in the band, they were doing, like, some kind of 90s revival thing with El- Everclear. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was years ago. Summerland, I think okay. they started art and Mark, well, I think art started it. And then Mark, you know, is a great host of a tour and he's very, you know, get out there, promote like crazy. So they did that together years ago, maybe like five or six years ago, something like that. And that, that went pretty good. And then, um, and then it kind of broke apart. And then I don't know what didn't happen that Mark kept going on a nineties thing. He tried it. I think they haven't done it in the last two years or something. And, but they were trying to get a nineties revival summer tour going and get it real big. They did it for a couple of years in a row. And I think it did pretty well. They'd go out with like smash mouth and, um, I think no, not third eye blind, but uh, Marcy's playground yeah. um, and, and lit and a few other bands. And I think it did okay, but I don't think it's still going on. I think they'll do, I think they do spot dates now. It's not like it's a big summer tour. And then art is now doing his own thing. He's actually doing a pretty cool thing. I thought it was real. I saw he's doing an acoustic showcase okay. with the singer from like, Oh, is it Eve six or Marcy? It's Marcy's playground. It's art. And it's a couple other, um, it's not to do from better than Ezra anyway, but it's like, that's a cool concept. Like yeah, yeah. broken down songs to talk to, talk to people about the stories of these songs. I go, that that's really cool. You know, like, 
But so Mark is doing a lot of 90s shows, yeah. And he hosts, I think, a 90s um, seri- uh, a satellite um, 90s program or something. Did you, uh, did you happen to catch him on Celebrity Big Brother? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I caught him on... You know, I, I wanted him to win. He was my pick, man. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, it was just because I, you know, it's somebody from a band that I kind of, you know, listened to yeah. and I thought that would be so cool if he won, but yeah, no, I, you know, I, somebody sent me a picture of him in like, and it was a weird, it was a zoomed in shot on a cell phone. It was like him holding onto something, getting sprayed by like sauce or something. I'm yeah. like, I'm like, uh, what is going on in this photograph? That show is crazy. I, if you've never seen it, man. Yeah, no, I did. I wound up seeing that episode and what they had to hang on to was funny. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I saw little of that. Not, not a lot, you know, I I don't, I don't, I I saw him on, I mean, obviously don't forget the lyrics. He hosted that and everybody's like, what is he, is he on speed? What's going on? Like what, what's, what's he doing? You know, like, or whatever. But, um, no, no. So, um, I think that canceled right away or something. And it's funny. He was on extra and he was like the host of that, you know, the tabloid show extra for, and nobody ever called it the right name. They always called it, what did they call it? They called it Entertainment, Entertainment Tonight. Tonight or something. Yeah. <laughs> Hard copy. Nobody in the, in, in the five years of him hosting ever called it the right thing extra. Well, but I, it was funny. I wondered, like, did that did that affect the band? Because that was at a time when you were in the band and you guys were doing stuff. Like, how did that affect yeah. it when he got on TV? Yeah, it was kind of weird. Okay, look, so we we were, our manager spun it to us. Like, they're like, hey, this is going to be a good thing for the band. You know, like like bigger exposure, bigger paydays or whatever. And we're like, uh, okay, he's gonna go host a. It seemed really cheesy, but like I, su- we all supported it, and I and I honestly supported. It. I didn't just think it was stupid. I, Mark would say that it 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 you know it puts him to bed at night because he has to get up so early and be and be you know functional really early in the morning. And I and I got yeah, that's great. That's you know why not yeah, do that whatever. And it kind of gave us some time to maybe do other things. But it got a little funky where he was demanding to he was demanding to only play on weekends. And he demanded to make a certain amount. He needed to make like 10 grand a show or something or, yeah. or whatever it was yeah. and fly first class. And so it started to become kind of a little weird, like that he was doing really well on this show, which is why I could have gone on to host another show myself. But when it started to kind of, that was just kind of weird. Like we, I, we still didn't trip hard and go like, you're a jerk. You're, you know, we were like, okay, uh, okay. Sure, you want to make that? Okay. Uh, whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so then we would do shows and some wouldn't work because it didn't fit his schedule of taping on the weekdays. And so we had to only do shows that were West coast, maybe on a weekday or a flight eight after work on Friday. It just got kind of weird. And, and yet they were, they were positioning it to us as if it was this great thing because the band's profile was going to expand so much, but nobody I talked to ever thought it was cool. They thought it was stupid. And like, so how does that equate then beyond it's moving Mark ahead? If he wants to do TV as his future. But so, you know, some people just like, they, they just try to, that was what Mark thought was right for him. So yeah. the manager and, and, and him said, this is going to be great. And so you just kind of, you go, okay. I think what I learned from being in a band was that you, you, you take a look at a weird situation that's presented to you and you go, is this my fight? Do I, do I stand up here and go, screw that, man. This is ridiculous. I quit or, or, you know, this is stupid. Let's not be, a, you know, stop partaking that. Or you go, you know what? This is not my fight. I'm going to fight that other thing down the road that I think is going to, I'm really going to have a problem with. They, you can't fight every single little thing. You'll go nowhere or you'll break up or you'll quit. So you have this weird balance of like, you enjoy that the band is still playing live shows and you're playing to fans who like you. You're still paying your mortgage and you're ba ba ba. So you just have to balance like which fight is yours, you know? 
So the one, the last thing that I'll ask you, and then we'll kind of, you know, tone this down. We're almost at the hour mark, but I, I, I was looking through some I stuff. I've enjoyed this, man. It's, yes, it's, we're, we're going, but it's, yeah, it's I'm, I'm, I'm having a blast. I just, the last thing I really want to know about, you were just talking about, you know, the, the opportunities that you get in other areas and whatnot. I remember seeing your episode of Cribs on MTV and I just, I thought it was great. Can you take me, <laughs> take me into that and like, show me kind of how that came about and how the process was? Yeah, it's funny. That was, you know, it's so funny to say that we were on cribs. Yeah. Right. You know, my little, it was a, a little house. It was a three bedroom, one bath, you know, in East side Costa Mesa with like, and, and cause cribs turned into this huge, very popular show with mansions. Right. You know, and like, well, it, 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 it wasn't always like that though. Like my a buddy of mine, Rick Thorne, a professional BMX guy that was on the show as well. He was on cribs and I've had a couple different guests on cribs and it seemed like it became this like lifestyles of the rich and famous, but at the beginning right. it was just, this is where artists live. It was just their life, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. No, well, yeah, because see, it started that way. When something starts, you don't know what it is yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, so Cribs had just started and it was just, yeah, musicians in their house. It, it became that big baller kind of floss check me out thing, I think later, but early on the first year, we didn't know what it was. So they asked Mark, you know, obviously, cause you couldn't go to your singer probably if you're a promoter, yeah. you know, a channel or something or whatever. And they're like, hey, let's. And so Mark calls me. He goes, dude, can we do it at your house, man? Because we were doing, we always did, uh, I, I was kind of like the recording geek in, in the, you know, throughout the time. And well, somewhat. And we were doing the pre production in my garage. I had a detached two car garage. And we were like writing, answer the phone at the time. And we were laying down with the guitar parts there and doing the pre production. So he goes, dude, they want to come to my house. Like, I'm kind of private. I don't want these cameras in and showing, you know, where I sleep and all this stuff. And I go, yeah, whatever. Okay. But the one condition mark, you know, since it made sense, we're doing pre-production for a record there and we, we would hang out sometimes. Um, I go, you guys have to co-host it with me. Is that cool? You know, like, you know, I'll, I'll say yes, but you got to be on camera too. So he goes, yeah, for sure. Totally. So the, the, the first day, you know, we get down there, the cameras roll up. Um, I go, okay, here we go, guys. They go, yeah. Okay. Later, Murph. <laughs> <laughs> and they run away and they make me do it. But it was, it was pretty mellow. Um, you know, I just, it, it wasn't, my house was pretty small, even though it was a cool house and yeah. I liked it. And I'm like, here's the galley kitchen. Here's the living room and here's the pool. Like that was about it. Yeah. There was a studio as well. Like where you guys like did stuff. So what? Yeah. Yeah. No, I had my two, it was a two car detached garage and I had set up like my old, old ass Mac. that was like the blueberry Mac or something. Yeah. And, and I had like, I, no, I had a few things there. Yeah. And, um, we were actually doing pre-production on the 2000 or 2001 self-titled. Um, and I think we were writing answer the phone at the time, like right during that time. So it was cool. And we got to talk a little bit about, you know, just, you know, writing and how we wrote and getting together a little bit. And, and then I did a cannonball into the pool with my dog. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty fun. Well, that's awesome, man. So tell me, I, I, I do love watching your videos. I know you've been doing a lot of live videos. Uh, my favorite one, which is kind of a joke, but it is my favorite one is where you showed like what a G chord was. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And as a guitar instructor, somebody that's pretty well versed in theory, I'm like, well, yeah, there's people out there that need to know how to play a G. So good job, man. No, it's, it's funny, you know, because, um, well, thank you, by the way, was that the one where I did it on bass where the video lasted six seconds? Yeah. It was literally like, like here's a G ding, and it was over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I do it on guitar too. And it's pretty, pretty quick, but no, the G was stupid. Yeah. It was like six seconds. I go, here's how you play a G on a bass. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Um, <laughs> And it's funny because I, I guess I did that because um, I, while I kind of, kind of are doing this thing, this band program with kids and mentoring them and kind of, you know, giving them advice or showing them ropes of whatever I can, I can offer. 
um, I realized, you know, I've seen people like use mic stands totally incorrectly and put like a, a guitar strap on through their head in the wrong slot in the guitar strap. Yeah. And like things are backwards. And it's like the simplest things. It's funny how much that will be wrong with people. And, 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 and I think that like, um, if you just do the, I should actually do an entire series of that. It, you know, I think that had, I'm glad you liked it, but I think it has very little views, but at the same time, if I did a ton of them and did a very simple based like tutorial, I love tutorials on YouTube where I can go on and I don't have to go, Hey, how's it going? My name is da da da. Today's 72 degrees outside. The sky is blue and the clouds are white. And yeah. I want to, you know, it's like, I love the ones that just go, hi, here's how you do this. There's actually, I sometimes have like lower back problems and there's this chiropractor that I go to and he has this amazing website where you go and the videos are eight, like six, eight and like 11 seconds long, like every video, how to do a stretch. And I'm like, that's so amazing. I don't have to hear you talk and prep it. And I already know all that. That's why I'm going here. So why don't I do that with like guitars? Why, why can't we do really quick, get to the point videos for guitars? So that was the first one as a joke. Maybe I should do more. I think you should. should. Do more? I think you should totally do more. Yeah. Okay. I should then. <laughs> so, uh, what what is the future hold? What have you got going on? You got any projects coming out or anything? What I've got going on right now is um, I have the studio, um, Cargus Music Studio in Costa Mesa, um, and I am doing lessons. I'm teaching. I'm doing uh, some band mentoring, where it's like a band program where we're doing like sounds of the British right now. All, all British bands were, you know, these these kids. They're junior high and they're high school. And it's a lot of fun. They just kind of put bands together. I sort of form them. Sometimes they form themselves. The funny thing about that, I don't know if you know about me, I have this thing called Rock and Roll Summer Camp, and I'm in my winter session right now, and I have about 20, awesome. 25 kids doing the exact same thing. There you go. I, I think I have 21 students right now. Yeah, so it's just really fun, and you kind of give back, and they look up to you because you've been through it, and you can kind of give them good advice on like what's important to learn, forget trying to learn that song, focus on this, that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, And I'm also just writing a lot. Actually, I... um. A couple, when, when I brought the guitars, you know, after the lawsuit, I put my guitars away. I just didn't really want to look at a guitar for about five years. I got really into shooting and directing. Uh, my wife and I have Cargus Media, Cargus Media, it's, we do video production and we've done a lot of like video, all kinds of video production from, you know, whatever commercials to PSAs, all this stuff. And I got heavily into that, but then I kind of got sucked back in a couple years ago when uh, my kids started playing, um, all, all three of my kids play and uh, my, my middle kid was playing drums and I'm like, well, if you're going to play drums, why don't you, you got to hold your right hand more like this. Well, your, do your heels got to be up when you play kick. Okay. With your the snare, do ghosting like this. And I kind of got drawn back in, in a really beautiful way. That was not about any fighting. It was not about money. It was not about um, credit or anything. It was simply about like somebody falling in love with playing music on this very innocent, great level. And so that's how I kind of got sucked back in. And then I did. And then I started, you know, he made a band and that's how my band program thing started just from my kids playing with their buddies. And so, um, so I, when I, when I, when that happened, I, I started writing songs again, like I would for Sugar Ray, like here's a, here's, you know, a handful of music. I don't know what it's for. It just sounded like, I remember I titled the first one Murphy's, you know, new crappy song. It didn't sound good. It was like, yeah, sounded recycled. And so I found a violin sample somewhere and I started messing around with strings and I like fell in love, like a light bulb went off. And I like just, I, I loved tr trying to compose with piano and strings and all this stuff. So I'm kind of getting into like that right now and seeing where that can take me. And maybe uh, I have plans to do an indie film or two. And so like, I, I just really interested in scoring right now. I just think 
that kind of writing is really interesting because I don't have to think about making a vocal melody song. Yeah. I can make the melody with a cello. And so it's done, even though I never say, I never sing on my demos that I'd hand over to Mark or Stan or the guys. So that's really kind of just, I'm, I'm writing, I'm focusing on the school and teaching the kids a lot. And then I'm writing in my off time, um, that type of stuff. So it's really kind of fun. Well, that's cool, man. Uh, do you have, what are your socials? So people, hopefully, can hopefully you? I can follow in the steps of, I mean, I'm not saying Danny Elfman, but like, wasn't what Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did pretty incredible with the oh social my God. network. It was amazing, man. Yeah. And anything that he's done in the past too, like, I think he was up for another Oscar or something like recently. He's amazing. And and like, dude, you know, the guy, there's a guy named Jeff Russo who is in tonic. Who's an incredible composer too. Okay. He's amazing. Like I, listen to his stuff. It's like, I, I think it's kind of, you know, I'm not saying I'm on par with them, but I'm saying I'm inspired by them and I'm, and I'm writing in that vein. It's just, I don't think it's the farthest leap to, to just write a melodic thing with different instruments. I think it's yeah. like, it's so inspiring to me because that music has been around for so long and it's a lot of fun. So anyways, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to know what your socials were so my listeners can check it out. Like your Instagram, Facebook, anything like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my Instagram is just my name. It's, uh, Murphy Cargus, M-U-R-P-H-Y-K-A-R-G-E-S. And uh, my YouTube channel also that um, I've been kind of throwing up some videos of bass and guitar. That's also just my name, uh, youtube.com slash Murphy Cargus, M-U-R-P-H-Y-K-A-R-G-E-S. Just my name on the socials. <laughs> cool, man. Well, hey. No, nothing, nothing like really like, you know, Bass Friday or Bass Player or something. It's just my name. <laughs> The, this is the end of the podcast. I'm going to let you go. I know you're a busy guy, but what I they don't know, because I didn't record this, is that at the beginning we were talking about, you know, hey, let's do a promo for the show. So now that we've talked, we've gotten along really well, I want you to give me a funny, like energetic promo for the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do want to say it's been a really, really cool time, uh, and I appreciate you reaching out. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, totally, man. Anytime you want to come back, we'll have a part two, talk about all kinds of stuff. There we go. Maybe, uh, yeah, exactly. All right, let's do the, uh, yeah, I like that you said energetic because I don't know about funny. Maybe yeah. I'll just be, well, here, I'll, we'll, I'll try we'll, to use we'll my, my radio off. voice more. <laughs> we'll sign off to the people right now, but here it is, Murphy Cargus with his energetic promo for the show. <laughs> hey, everybody, this is Murphy Cargus, and you are listening and grooving and rocking to that one time on tour. <laughs> dude that was awesome i think i might use that one i don't know who knows man well hey thank you so much for being on the show it's been a pleasure and uh continued you know good fortune and everything to you and your family and i will talk to you soon my man christopher it's been a pleasure really and uh i uh just been a great time and uh great to kind of meet you now and and, and talk with you and kind of become a friend and uh feeling is mutual so awesome <laughs> cool man well i will talk to you in the future man have a great night you got it bye 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 So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Murphy Cargus, formerly of the band Sugar Ray. I don't know if you guys watched the show Big Brother or Celebrity Big Brother. We were talking on the on the conversation about how Mark McGrath, the singer from Sugar Ray, was actually on Celebrity Big Brother. I enjoy the show. I've been a Big Brother fan for a really long time. I got my wife into it too, so now we watch it together. Uh, we watch a lot of bad reality TV. We watch Survivor, and tonight we watched the season finale of The Bachelor, and I actually, you know... 
it's not a guilty pleasure. I kind of enjoy it. It's it's an interesting show, and uh, most of the time, it's my wife and I just making fun of the people on the TV shows. So, uh, you know, I want to know what reality shows you guys watch. If you guys have a favorite reality show, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, or you can even email me, whatever you want. It's TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com or on any of the social media platforms at TOTOT podcast. Okay, I need to tell you guys about our new patron. Yes, we have a new patron over at Patreon. Uh, his name is Mr. Andrew Foster, and he is from California. So, Andrew, if you're listening, shout out to you. You'll be getting your welcome pack very soon in the mail. Patreon is a really cool thing. If you guys want to, you know, become a patron, it's only five dollars a month. It really helps the show out. There's a lot of costs that are incurred with doing this podcast. So, if you want to join a cool community and get all kinds of cool exclusive content going over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast. Or if you just want to do like a one-time donation, you don't like the pledge thing, go on over to TOTOTpodcast.com and uh, scroll down until you see the donate button and you can just send a one-time thing just to help us out, help cover some of the costs for doing the podcast. So I appreciate that. Andrew, welcome to the club and I hope you're around for a long time. That's going to do it for this week, guys. I am going to get out of here. I do want to tell you to make sure that you review rate, subscribe, everything. All of that helps so much for this podcast. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Music, wherever you're listening, make sure to do that. Thank you guys very much once again for coming back. I'm going to crank out these episodes next week. I've got an awesome guest, Mr. Ephraim Schultz from Death by Stereo and the Voodoo Glow Skulls. We had a really, really good time talking over the phone as he was on tour in Texas with the Voodoo Glow Skulls. So that is next week. And uh, after that, we're just going to keep rolling. So thank you guys so much for the support. I'm going to get out of here, as I already said. Now it's true, and I am going to get out of here. But I'm going to leave you guys with the Sugar Ray classic, Mean Machine. This is the first song I ever heard from the band. So I'll see you guys next week. This is Chris signing off, and here is Sugar Ray with Mean Machine.
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.